0: Welcome to the Astute Macaron, a podcast where I finally read the classics and then bake about it. I'm Misty, and despite working in bookstores and libraries for more than a decade, I have managed to avoid reading most of the classics, largely because they are boring. Um, I am an extremely amateur baker, meaning I probably won't poison you with my baked goods. Emphasis on the probably. (laughs) Uh, This week, I read the 1843 classic A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and I baked a holiday Yule log. Uh, content warning for this book it has that whole the noble poor stereotype going and also Tiny Tim's disabilities are basically just a plot point for Scrooge's growth and that as we now know is kind of gross Uh, what I knew going into this is basically the whole thing I mean I've watched them up at Christmas Carol so i know there's a guy named scrooge he's basically the worst he gets visited by three ghosts and tiny tim is the embodiment of saccharine christmas spirit right right (laughs) um so into the summary everybody who adapts this thing does a pretty decent job of getting like the core main plot at least as far as i've seen um scrooge is the meanest nastiest guy on the block he hates christmas because no one who is poor has anything to celebrate and rich people have better stuff to do i guess uh he's got a lot of money but he lives a very stingy life um no friends no heat crappy food etc oh wait that's actually not how it starts let me get back to the beginning uh dickens really needs us to know that marley is dead he is deady dead dead The deadest no one has ever been more dead and in case you thought he maybe wasn't dead Dickens is going to compare his story to Shakespeare here because this guy has balls let me read you this the mention of Marley's funeral brings me back to the point I started from there is no doubt that Marley was dead This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. If we were not perfectly convinced that Hamlet's father died before the play began, there would be nothing more remarkable in his taking a stroll at night in an easterly wind upon his own ramparts than there would be in any other middle-aged gentleman rashly turning out after dark in a breezy spot, say St. Paul's churchyard, for instance, literally to astonish his son's weak mind. Okay, so Marley is like hella dead. Then we dive into Scrooge, uh, who is very much not dead, but also not really alive. Rich people are all secretly miserable, you know. We get to see Scrooge being a shit on Christmas Eve, yelling at anyone who dares wish him a Merry Christmas, including his nephew. His nephew is the most aggressively kind person who ever lived. Kill them with kindness is his actual life motto. Uh, He refuses to be put off by Scrooge's nastiness, Um, and literally the guy won't come over because the nephew got married for love. (gasps) What a yes! And the nephew is like, that's all right, Uncle. I'll keep asking. Don't worry about me. Um, Scrooge uh, does say both bah and humbug. Uh, He usually doesn't say them together, though. Just bah and then humbug. (laughs) Some guys come around and ask him to donate money for the poor, but their whole mission statement is pretty vague. So, I don't know. I might have been suspicious of them, too. Scrooge is a huge tick, though. He's like, if poor people are cold and hungry, they can go to jail or the workhouse. And the guy is like, sir, some of them would rather die. And Scrooge is like, well, then let them die. And that will, of course, come back to haunt him quite literally because it's a ghost story. Get it? you get it so Scrooge is a big dick and complains about giving his clerk the day off and then he marches home and he sees the face of Marley who is dead super dead none more dead remember but he sees his face in the he sees Marley's face in the door knocker and he's like huh that's weird and then he gets into his house and he has a few more weird visions but he's mostly annoyed that the shit is trying to distract him from getting a good night's sleep in his freezing cold house Uh, So then he hears chains rattling from the basement and the ghost of Marley, covered in chains, comes through the door. Uh, The chains are made from all of the bad things he did in life, so like money bags, loan paperwork, that kind of thing. Scrooge at first is like, "Uh, no, this is not happening, try again. And Marley's like, what's it going to take for you to believe that I exist for fuck's sake? And then there's this lovely little bit where Scrooge is telling Marley what he must be aside from a ghost you don't believe in me observed the ghost i don't said scrooge what evidence would you have of my reality beyond that of your senses i don't know said scrooge why do you doubt your senses because said scrooge a little thing affects them a slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheats You may be an undigested bit of beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Marley's like, bitch, if I wasn't real, could I do this? And then he unwraps the bandage around his head and lets his jawbone fall off his face and land on his chest. And Scrooge is like, oh, fuck dude, if I believe that you're real, will you please put that thing back? Uh, Marley does and then tells him all about being a ghost Basically, it consists of wandering around and wailing because you can't help anyone You can see suffering, but you can't affect it You carry the chains of your sins wrapped around you until you disintegrate, I guess, basically Uh, Marley's a pal, though, and he set up this whole thing so that Scrooge won't suffer the same fate Because the rich look out for the rich, you know Uh, He tells Scrooge that he'll see three ghosts over three days, and he better listen up. Scrooge is frightened, and he's desperate to figure out how to avoid an afterlife like Marley's. The ghost of Christmas past appears and is super freaky, like way freakier than I've ever seen it portrayed in any movie, It's this shifting mass of shapes, like sometimes with one leg, sometimes with dozens. uh, And it seems to mostly consist of a ball of light under a hat. Uh, He takes Scrooge into his own past, reminding him of the sister he loved who died some time ago, and then Scrooge feels bad for speaking unkindly to his nephew. They go forward in time to when Scrooge was an apprentice, and there's this fantastic Christmas party his boss had that made him feel happy and warm, and Scrooge feels bad about being a dick to his clerk, and then we get some real dirt on Scrooge. He had a lady friend at one point but she ended up leaving him because he found another mistress. Greed. (laughs) She drags him, and he tries to deny it, but he can't. And so the real Scrooge is like, Stop it, you! Stop showing me this awfulness! And he realizes that if he pulls the cap over the ball of light, he will defeat the ghost, and he ends up back in his room. Uh, Later, the ghost of Christmas present shows up, And he kind of looks like a groovy Santa, which I think this was written before Santa was actually codified as a thing. Um, But he's got this big red robe, and it's open over his chest, and his feet stick out. So, yeah, really kind of a groovy vibe going. Um, And here's where you really start to notice that Dickens was being paid by the word. (laughs) Seriously, he uses... Fourteen words, whenever he could just use one. Um, The food he lists at the various feasts is unending. Uh, I've got that queued up as well. For the people who were shoveling away on the housetops were jovial and full of glee, calling out to one another from the parapets, and now and then exchanging a facetious snowball, better-natured missile far than many a wordy jest, laughing heartily if it went right and not less heartily if it went wrong. The poulterer's shops were still half open, and their fruiterers were radiant in their glory. There were great round pot-bellied baskets of chestnuts shaped like the waistcoats of jolly old gentlemen lolling at the doors and tumbling out into the street in their apoplectic opulence. There were ruddy, brown-faced, broad-girth Spanish onions, shining in the fatness of their growth like Spanish friars and winking from their shelves in wanton slyness at the girls as they went by and glanced demurely at the hung-up mistletoe. There were pears and apples clustered high in blooming pyramids. There were bunches of grapes made in the shopkeeper's benevolence to dangle from conspicuous hooks that people's mouths might water gratis as they passed. There were piles of filberts, mossy and brown, recalling in their fragrance ancient walks among the woods, and pleasant shufflings ankle-deep through withered leaves. There were norfolk, biffins, squat and swarthy, setting off the yellow of the oranges and lemons, and in the great compactness of their juicy persons, urgently entreating and beseeching to be carried home in paper bags and eaten after dinner. The very gold and silver fish set forth among these choice fruits in a bowl— though members of a dull and stagnant blooded race appeared to know that there was something going on. And to a fish went gasping round and round their little world in slow and passionless excitement. And I mean, that's literally just one chap, uh, one paragraph. There's way more. This is where we meet the famous Cratchits. Bob, of course, is the clerk that Scrooge was addicted to earlier. And he has about a hundred children and like a super endearing wife, um, Scrooge watches as they make dinner out of almost nothing, and they end up using the laundry boiler to cook the pudding, and his wife is like, I wasn't sure about the flour, and I'm like, I get you, girl. Um, I almost tried to make a classic English pudding, but then I looked it up, and it sounded both super hard and not very tasty, so, uh, you log it is. Um, it's basically, uh... Like made over months and months, and you feed it fruit, which sounds really gross, and then you douse it in alcohol and light it on fire. Yeah, that seems a little much. Uh, Tiny Tim is, of course. Uh, the youngest of the Cratchit's children and he's like i love going to the church on the holidays so that everyone can see how awesome god is and that is completely without irony yep um scrooge basically falls in love with super cute tiny tim as he's meant to the ghost of christmas present is like yeah that boy's gonna die because you suck so much Um, then they go visit Scrooge's nephew and there's this huge party going on and Scrooge is the butt of like all the jokes, but he ain't even mad. Mostly he just wishes he was actually there to party with them. Um, Scrooge gets back from the present and he's like, yo, I'm all set to change. I'm ready for this. Let's do this. I want to be a better person. And so the ghost of Christmas future comes along and he's like super spooky and Scrooge is like, Whatever you got to teach me, I'm here for it. Let's do this. I'm on board. Uh, Future shows him a funeral where no one cares one whit about the guy who passed. Spoiler alert, it's Scrooge's funeral. Although he does not know this um, for a very long time. Tiny Tim is dead. The Cratchits are super sad. Uh, he asks to see somebody who actually cares about the person who died and the only people who have any feeling toward him. Are a couple who are relieved that their nasty loan holder is gone and they have a break until their debt is bought up by somebody else Uh, Scrooge still hasn't figured out that it's his funeral even after seeing people dividing up his stolen belongings because apparently he doesn't recognize his own stuff Um, then the ghost takes him to the graveyard and points at his headstone and Scrooge is horrified Uh, He wakes up still alive and realizes, it's Christmas morning. Three days haven't passed at all. I don't know why this three-day thing comes up. I don't know if maybe Dickens was writing it as a serial and hadn't planned out the ending. Uh, I'm not sure. But he, anyway, Scrooge is jolly as heck and gives money to the poor and gets a feast for the Cratchits and ends up giving Bob a raise. And he goes to his nephew's house for dinner. Yay, rich people suddenly deciding to be generous to a select few. Merry Christmas, y'all. So that's the book. (laughs) Let's get on to what I attempted to bake. Uh, This week I baked a Yule log, but it came out more like a Yule pile of kindling. Um, it tasted so good though, uh, even though it looked like a total hot mess. Um, I wanted the log to have a nice Christmassy flavor and my father-in-law had suggested a gingerbread cake with a cream cheese frosting and I was like, yes, let's do this. So I found this cake roll recipe that I, all I modified was the flavors, um, to get like a gingerbread flavor i probably should have read the comments to see if other people had as much trouble with the baking as i did um based on those comments i probably should have either whisked my eggs longer or separated my egg yolks and my egg whites and used one cup less of sugar um anyway i'll link to the original recipe in the show notes um And so instead of vanilla flavor, I put in a tablespoon of molasses and a tablespoon of orange extract. I also added um, one teaspoon of ginger, one of cinnamon, and one of allspice to the flour before mixing it in. And then I poured the mix into the parchment lined pan and I put it in the oven for 10 minutes at 350, which is what the recipe said. And then I put it in for like another 12 minutes because the freaking thing wouldn't cook in the middle. Um, so by the time I pulled it out, it was all dry and I knew it was gonna crack as soon as I started rolling it. Um, and then I I did it anyway. I rolled it up and I put it in the fridge to cool. And uh, then I tried to make a molasses cream cheese frosting. I had found this recipe um, where it's just cream cheese, powdered sugar, molasses, and some cinnamon. And it should have been easy, but it ended up really, really runny. Like, just it's like a glaze instead of like a frosting or a filling. Um, I put it in the fridge to firm it up, but it just didn't do that. <laughs> so then I kind of poured my liquidy frosting on the cracked cake roll and yeah, It's a hot mess, but it tastes so good! Um, It really tastes like gingerbread. Uh, So half yay? I'd rather it be edible, I guess. Um, You could probably still start a fire with my Yule log, but you wouldn't want to leave it anywhere where the guests could find it. Um, I probably will make it again. I'm planning on making it again, but this time I'm going to use a different Uh, base recipe for the actual log. Um, I'm going to try separating the egg yolks and egg whites and whipping them separately. And uh, I'm going to, because the cake itself tasted so good, I'm going to just use a pure cream cheese frosting, which shouldn't be runny, fingers crossed. Um, All right, now for one of my favorite segments, which is Best Academic Paper Titles. This week I have four because I just couldn't leave out any of them. Uh, The first one is Imaginative Possibilities or Moral Fable, Different Ways of Reading A Christmas Carol. And then The Belshazzar Illusion in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I don't know what that means, but I kind of love it. Um, This one's great. Existential Scrooge, a Kierkegaardian reading of A Christmas Carol. Because why not? And then finally, Dante's role in the genesis of Dickens' A Christmas Carol. And if you don't know, Dante wrote uh, uh, Inferno. And that sounds amazing. Like, I want to understand how his depiction of hell uh, was part of the genesis of A Christmas Carol. (laughs) So let's delve into why it's a classic. Uh, Everyone loves a good Christmas story. I mean, this is the long form Grinch. A lonely grump's heart grows three sizes thanks to the small child being extra adorable. Um, It's also super witty in that Dickensian way, and it's a great look at class in the Victorian era. I think there are a lot of people who really love that heartwarming holiday thing where children are the best and all one's troubles go away, even if it's just for one day. People have been telling and retelling this story for over 150 years, so clearly it resonates. And I think this is the idealist Christmas. Someone who is a miser becomes a generous man He's changed by seeing the plights of those around him. Uh, He can still feel empathy and sympathy, uh, even though he's been cold for so long. Um, I think it also represents this idealized noble poor. They may not have money, but they have family. And isn't that better? Rich people may be rich, but they are super sad. So it's not that good to have money. (laughs) The plight of the rich to be forever lonely versus the warm and loving home of the poor. Because if you're poor, then obviously you're much happier than those sad, sad rich people. It's pretty ridiculous, but it is a prevailing theme in Western literature. And I'm sure as I continue this podcast, I will come across it again. (laughs) So now for some recommendations. Um, I don't have as many this time as I usually will. Uh, I tend to prefer Christmas movies to Christmas books. So first of all, go watch A Muppet's Christmas Carol. It's really good. Uh, Michael Caine as Scrooge is honestly delightful. And they added songs uh, because, of course, it's the Muppets. And there are a few that are just Dickensian phrases set to music, which I found hilarious and great. Uh, And they actually stick pretty close to... The format, like closer than you would expect a Muppets version of something to be to the original source material. And then other than that, go find yourself some Hallmark and sit down with a cup of hot chocolate and a candy cane. This week's expert baking tip. Baking equipment that comes out of the oven is hot. Use oven mitts to remove them from the oven and then continue to use oven mitts if you must touch the pan again. Just because it has been sitting on a counter for 30 seconds does not mean it is safe to touch with your bare hand. You're welcome. All right. So thank you for listening to the Astute Macaron. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast listening app of choice. If you make your own pile of yule bark, please send me pictures on Twitter or Instagram at Astute Macaron. And remember, macaron is spelled with one O. If you spell it with two O's, the ghost of Christmas future will show you your own headstone with the inscription, it was only one O. You can email baking tips or questions to astute pod at gmail.com. Uh, for pictures of my bakes and recipe links, you can follow me on social media or head to the website astutemacaron.weebly.com. Weebly is W-E-E-B-L-Y. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can set up a small monthly recurring donation at patreon.com slash astutemacaron. Your donations go towards hosting fees, equipment maintenance, and ingredients. And in return, you get some fairly cool perks, such as a monthly newsletter and like a fancy bookmark. Um, Until next time, keep reading, keep baking, and you'll be one keen Oreo.